Chapter seventy two of The Wanderer or Female Difficulties. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wanderer or Female Difficulties by Fanny Burney. Chapter seventy two. The affrighted Juliet, every instant in expectation of being stopped, was silent the whole way. But the loquacity of her companions, to whom the journey was an uninterrupted opportunity for wrangling, secured her from any remark, and they arrived, and were separating, at Romsey, nearly without having taken notice that they had ever been together, when Juliet, having descended from the chaise, turned fearfully round, to examine whether she were pursued. She saw no one, and blessed heaven. Nevertheless it was night, she was alone, in the suburbs of a strange town, and wholly ignorant of the way to the new forest. It was too late to go on without a guide, yet to demand one, or to order a chaise, at such an hour, would be risking to leave documents behind her that might facilitate her being discovered. She addressed herself, therefore, to her fellow-travellers, and besought them to afford, or to procure her, a safe lodging for the night. The mother coarsely demanded immediate payment, which being accorded, she said that she had some spare bedding, which could be put upon the floor, in the sleeping-room of Debbie. Juliet accompanied them to their homely habitation, at the further extremity of a narrow lane, in the busy and prosperous town of Romsey, and though nothing could be more ordinary than the dwelling, or the accommodations which she there found, neither splendour, nor wealth, nor luxury, nor pleasure, could have devised for her, at that moment, a sojourn more acceptable, since, to all but safety, distress and affright made her insensible. With this first moment of solid satisfaction past, her whole mind became absorbed in fearful ruminations upon the various risks that she was running, and in gloomy apprehensions of what might be their result. Her taciturnity and dejection were as little imitated as they were little happy. Her companion, almost equally self-occupied, though by no means equally incommoded by foresight, or burdened with discretion, broke forth immediately into the history of her own affairs and situations. Bitterly inveighing against the ill-nature of her mother, which was always thwarting everything that was agreeable, and boldly declaring her fixed determination to go to the fair with Mr. Thomas. The humanity of Juliet here conquered her silence, but her representations, whether of danger or of duty, were scouted with rude merriment, and she found again as wilful a victim to pleasure as Flora Pearson, though without the simplicity, the good humour, or the beauty of that credulous maiden. Nearly with the light, Juliet arose, resolved, with whatever fatigue, to travel on foot, that she might not hazard being recognised through the advertisement by any coachman or postillion, and to be less liable to detection from passing observers, she changed overnight her bonnet, which was of white chip, for one the most coarse and ordinary of straw, with her young hostess, of whom also she bought a blue-striped apron. 
shocking to all her feelings was this attempt to disguise, so imitative of guilt, so full of semblance to conscious imposture. But there are sometimes circumstances, great and critical, that call for all the energy of our courage, and demand all the resources of our faculties for warding off impending and substantial evil, at whatever risk of transitory misconstruction. Her account being already settled, she wished to depart unobserved, that she might less easily be traced. Her young hostess, sleeping late and tired, slept soundly, and was not disturbed by her rising, dressing, or opening the room door, and she glided downstairs without being missed or noticed. The door of the house was fastened only by a bolt, and she gained the street without noise or interruption. Here all yet was still as night. The houses were shut up, and nothing was in view, nor in hearing, but a solitary cart, driven by a young carter, who amused his toil by the alternate pleasure of smacking his horse and whistling to the winds. This vehicle, which was probably travelling to the high road, she determined to follow. The general stillness made the slightest motion heard, and the carter, though at a considerable distance, turned round and called out, "'Why, you be up betimes, my lovey! Come and Izzy give you a cast!' Startled, she looked down, crossing the way, and appearing not to suppose herself to be the person thus addressed. But the carter, standing still, repeated his invitation, assuring her that he had plenty of room. Uncertain how to act, she stopped. Terms of coarse endearment, then, accompanied a more pressing desire that she would advance. Frightened, she drew back, but the carter, throwing his whip upon his carriage, vowed that she should be caught, and ran after her, shouting aloud, till she regained the house. He then scoffingly exclaimed, "'Why, it be plaguey shy o' the sudden, Mistress Debbie!' and, composedly turning upon his heel, began again to smack his horse, and whistle to the winds. Juliet, who in finding herself taken for her young hostess, found also how light a character that young hostess bore, was struck to see danger thus every way surrounding her, and alarmed at the risk, to which impatience had blinded her, of travelling at so early an hour alone. Alas! she cried, is it only under the domestic roof, that roof to me denied, that woman can know safety, respect, and honour? She now strolled to the vicinity of a capital mansion, at the door of which, if again put in fear, she could knock and make herself heard. But the higgler went on, and another cart soon appeared, in which she had the pleasure to see a woman, driven by a boy. Unannoyed then, she walked by its side till she came to the long middle street, when she found that, from solitude at least, she had nothing more to apprehend. Carts, wagons, and diligences were wheeling through the town. Market women were arriving with butter, eggs, and poultry. Workmen and manufacturers were trudging to their daily occupations. All was alive and in motion, and commerce, with its hundred hands, was everywhere operating and spreading its sources of wealth through its active sisters, ingenuity and industry. 
no difficulty now remained for finding the route. Travellers of every kind led the way. Her coarse bonnet and blue apron saved her from peculiar remark, and her appearance of decency, with the deep care in her countenance, which, to the common observer, seemed but an air of business, kept aloof all intrusive impertinence. Thus, for the first early hours of the morning, she journeyed on, nearly unnoticed, and wholly unmolested. Every one, like herself, alert to proceed, and impressed with the value of time, because using it to advantage, pursued his own purpose, without leisure or thought to trouble himself with that of his neighbour. Five times she had already counted the friendly milestone, since she had quitted Romsey. One mile only remained to be trodden, ere she reached the new forest. But that mile was replete with obstacles, to which its five sisters had been strangers. It was now noon, and a gentle breeze, which hitherto had fanned her passage, and wafted to her refreshment, suddenly ceased its playful benignity. Chanced to a distance by the burning rays of a vertical sun, just bursting forth with meridional fire and splendour, and dispersing the flying clouds which, in obstructing its refulgence, had softened its intenseness. This quick change of temperature, operating materially like an effective change of climate, annihilated, for the moment, all the strength of Juliet, who as yet, from the freshness of the morning air, the vivacity of mental courage, had been a stranger of fatigue. Upon looking around, to seek a spot where she might obtain a few instants rest, and some passing succour, she observed that the road, but just before so busily peopled, appeared to be abruptly forsaken. The labourers were no longer working at the highways, or at the hedges. The harvestmen were vanished, the market-women were gone, the road retained merely here and there an idle straggler, and the fields exhibited only a solitary boy, left to frighten away the birds. A sensation nearly of famine, with which next, from long fasting, joined to vigorous exercise in the open air, she felt assailed, soon pointed out to her that the cause of this general desertion was the rural hour of repast. Initiated now by her own exertions, in the necessity both of support and of rest, she too felt that this was the hour of nature for recruit. But where to stop, and how procure sustenance with safety and prudence? She looked about for some cottage, and was not long ere she found one, but upon begging for a glass of water from a husbandman, who was standing upon the threshold, he answered that she should have it, if she would pay him with a kiss. She walked on to another, but some men were smoking at the door, and she had not courage to make her demand. At a third she was disconcerted by a familiar invitation to partake of a cup of cider. She now resolved to make no further application but to females, since countrymen, even those who are freest from any evil designs, are almost all either gross or facetious. Women, however, at this hour, were not easily met with. They were within, preparing their meals, or cleaning their platters, and feeding their poultry, rabbits, or pigs. 
She now dropped, scarcely able to breathe from the oppression of the heat, or to sustain herself from the enfeebling effects of emptiness, joined to overpowering fatigue. With pain and difficulty she dragged on her wearied limbs, while a furious thirst parched her mouth and seemed consuming her inside. Now, too, her distress received the tormenting augmentation of intrusive interruption, for, in losing the elasticity of her motions, she lost, to the vulgar observer, her appearance of innocence. Her eye, eagerly cast around in search of an asylum, appeared to be courting attention. Her languor seemed but loitering, and her slow, unequal pace wore the air of inviting a companion. Nor was the character of chaste diligence, and vivacious business, any longer predominant in those whom she now casually encountered. The noontide heat, in impairing their bodily strength, caused a mental lassitude that made them ready for any dissipation that might divert their weariness, and Juliet, young, rosy, and alone, seemed exactly fashioned for awakening their drowsy faculties. No one, therefore, passed without remarking her, and scarcely any one without making her some address. The inconsistency of her attire, which her slackened pace allowed time for developing, gave rise to much comment and some mockery. Her ordinary bonnet and blue apron ill accorded with the other part of her dress, and she was now assailed with coarse compliments upon her pretty face, now by jocose propositions to join company, and now by free solicitations for a salute. Painfully she forced herself on, till at length she discerned an ancient dame, in a field by the side of the road, who sat spinning at the door of a cottage. She crossed a stile, and, presenting herself to the old woman, craved a draught of water, and permission to take a little rest. The good old dame, who was surrounded by little boys and girls, to whom she was singing the antique ballad of the children of the wood, in a tone so dolorous and with such heavy sighs, that the elder of her hearers, who were five and six years old, were dissolved in tears, while the younger ones clung to her knees, pale and scared, finished her stanza before she would answer, or look at the supplicant stranger. She then raised her eyes, with evident vexation at the interruption, but when she perceived the weak state, and listened to the faint accents of her petitioner, the expression of her countenance became all benevolence, and, good-humouredly nodding her head, she disengaged herself from the children, arose, fetched a horn of water, added to it a cup of milk, and then, presenting to the weary traveller her own chair, which was large and low, she got a smaller and less commodious one from the kitchen for herself. The nearly exhausted Juliet gratefully accepted this hospitality, and, in quaffing her milk and water, believed herself initiated in the knowledge of the flavour, and of all the occult qualities, of nectar. It is thus, then, she thought, that the poor and laborious also learn, even from their toils and sufferings, what is luxury and enjoyment. For where is the regal, and what is the liberation, which the most sumptuous table of refined elegance can offer, that can be more exquisite to the taste, than this simple beverage of milk and water, 
received thus at the moment of parching thirst, and deadly fatigue. Meanwhile the little ones, impatient at the interruption of a tale which engaged all their tenderest feelings, and of which no repetition could diminish the interest, looked with clouded brows and unchecked ill-humour upon the intruder, and, while the elder ones vented their chagrin by crying, some of the younger ones, yet more completely in the rough hands of untutored nature, rushed forward to beat the cause of their vexation, while others, indignantly, struggled to pull her out of the chair of their grandam. Juliet, whom their fat little hands could not hurt, and who approved their fondness both for their grandmother and for the ballad, forgave their petulance in favour of its motive. But the grandam, putting aside her spinning-wheel, called them all around her, and calmly inquired what was the matter. They vociferously answered that they wanted to push away the naughty person who was come to take Granny's chair. And what, she asked, would they do themselves, should they be obliged to walk a great way off, till they were tired to death, and as dry as dust, if nobody would give them a little drink, nor a seat to sit down? But they would never walk a great way off, they answered, never as long as they lived. They would always stay at home with Dad and Ma'am and Grandam. But Dad and Ma'am, she resumed, were often obliged to walk a great way off themselves, and if nobody would let them have a seat, nor anything to drink, what would become of them? Whereas, if they should hap to light upon this young gentlewoman in any trouble, she would remember what had been done for herself, and get them fresh water, and sweet milk, and the easiest chair she could find, and would not they be glad of such good luck to Dad and Ma'am? Besides that, by doing good, they would be loved by all good boys and girls, and even by God himself, who was the father of all them. This was speaking at once to their sensations and their understandings. Dad and Ma'am, in distress and relieved, seemed present to their view, and they all flew to do something for their guest, as if their gratitude were already indebted. One brought her half an apple, another a quarter of a pear, one a bunch of red currants, another of white. The youngest of the little girls presented her with an old broken rattle, and the smallest of the little boys waddled to her with a hoop. Amused by this infantine scene of filial piety, and revived by rest and refreshment, Juliet soon recompensed their endearing innocence by dancing the smaller ones in her arms, and prattling playfully with those who were less babyish. Then, putting a shilling into one of their hands, she requested to have a couple of eggs and a crust of bread. The eggs were immediately baked in the cinders, the crust was cut from a loaf of sweet and fresh brown bread, and if her drink had seemed nectar, what was more substantial appeared to her to be ambrosia, and her little waiters became hebs and ganymedes. Refreshment thus salubrious, rust thus restorative, and security thus serene, after fatigue, fasting, and alarm, made her deem this one of the most felicitous moments of her life. Her sole immediate desire was to lengthen it, and to spend, in this tranquil retreat, a part, at least, of the period destined to concealment and obscurity. She had not forgotten her first little protégés, nor lost her wish to join them and their worthy mother, 
but she had severely experienced how little fitted to the female character, to female safety, and female propriety, was this hazardous plan of lonely wandering. She begged, therefore, permission, as a weary traveller, to pass the night in the cottage. The good dame readily consented, saying that she could not offer very handsome bedding, but that it should be clean and wholesome, for it had belonged to her youngest daughter, who was just gone out to service. This arranged, the ballad was again begun, so exquisitely to the delight of the young audience, that though at the stanza their little lips with blackberries were all besmeared and dyed, and when they saw the darksome night they sat them down and cried. They all sobbed aloud. They were yet so grieved when it was over that they clung around their granddame, saying with one voice, Adden, Granny, Adden! Granny, however, was too much tired to comply, and the repetition was deferred to another day. In the evening the mother of the children came home, and heard what had been settled with her new and unknown guest, without objection or interference. The father appeared soon after, and was equally passive. The granddame was mistress of the cottage, and in her own room, which was that also of the elder children, Juliet was lodged. The younger branches of the family slept, with their father and mother, in the kitchen, which, like the apartment of the cobbler, served them equally for parlour and hall. Juliet found the man and his wife perfectly good sort of people, simply but usefully employed in earning their living, while their aged mother took charge of their dwelling, their nourishment, and their children. Thus safely and tranquilly situated, Juliet, without meeting any difficulty, proposed to sojourn with them for some days. She gave also a commission to the younger mistress of the house to purchase her some ready-made linen at Romsey, and she was soon more consistently equipped in new but homely apparel. This interval was most seasonably passed in recruiting her strength and calming her spirits. She took pleasant walks, accompanied by the tallest boy and girl. She worked for the grandmother, taught a part of the catechism to some of the children, played with them all, and made herself at once so useful and so agreeable in the rustic dwelling, that she won the heart and good will of all its inhabitants. Yet three times only the sun had set thus serenely, when her host, returning half an hour later in the evening than usual, appeared so altered and ill-humoured, that Juliet thought it advisable to leave him with his family. But the slightness of the small building made as inevitable as it was alarming, her learning that she was herself the subject of his discontent. He told his mother that she must be more cautious how she harboured travellers, or she might come to trouble. For there was a young female swindler, in or about Salisbury, who was advertised in the newspapers and who, upon being found out in her tricks, had made off with Dame Gosses, without so much as paying for her lodging. She had been traced as far as Romsey, by means of a postillion, but there too she had left her lodgings by stealth, in the very middle of the night. All the coachmen and postillions and innkeepers were looking out for her, a handsome reward being offered, for sending tidings where she might be met with, to an attorney in London. And now, mother, he continued, 
Suppose by half this young gentlewoman be she. Why, you'll be fit to hung yourself, mother. For as to her being so kind to the children, that be no sign, for the bad ones be oftentimes the kindest. He then inquired whether she had arrived in a white muslin gown and a white chip hat. Her gown might be white muslin, the mother answered, for aught she could say to the contrary, for it was covered almost all round by a blue striped apron, but as to her hat, it was nothing but a straw bonnet, as coarse and ordinary as he might wish to set eyes on. Oh, then, he said, it was clear that it could not be she. She was not a person to wear a blue apron. She had been seen, the very night she made off, just quite genteel. What now was the consternation of Juliet, to find herself thus pursued as a runaway, and stigmatized as a swindler and an impostor? Astonishing destiny, she cried, for what am I reserved? Oh, when may I cast off this veil of humiliating concealment? When meet unappalled the fair eye of open day? When appear, when alas, even know what I am? This, however, was not the end. It soon seemed scarcely the beginning of new distress, so far more deeply terrible to her with the intelligence by which it was followed. When the women demanded where he had heard this news, he answered at the public-house, where he was told that all Salisbury was in an uproar, a rich outlandish monsieur, in a post-chaise, having just come to the great inn, with the advertisement in his hand, pointing to the reward, and promising, in pretty good English, to double it, if the person should be found. Not another word could Juliet hear, not an instant, not a thought could she bestow to learn further what was past, or even to gather what was passing. The future, the dread of what was to come, took sole possession of her feelings and her faculties, and again to fly, more rapidly, more eagerly, more affrightened than ever to fly, was her immediate act, rather than resolution. She accoutred herself, therefore, in all that was most homely to her new apparel, made a packet of what remained of her genuine attire, left half a guinea open upon a little table, to avoid again the accusation of being a swindler, and then, descending the ladder, and contriving to hide her bundle with her blue apron as she passed, said that she was going to take a walk in the neighbouring fields, but that it was too late to take out the children, and giving to each of them a penny to buy cakes, she quitted the cottage. Without an instant, without even any powers for reflection, she darted across the fields, gained the road, and within twenty minutes arrived at an entrance into the new forest to which she had already learnt the way in her rambles with the children. End of chapter 72 Recording by Roxana Nazari